I, I live in an apartment in uh, San Diego. I have air conditioning. <laughs> the height of luxury. Well, I mean, a lot of the time we could we could just open the windows and let the wind go yeah. through the apartment and it's fine. But when it's like 107 and we have 80% mm. humidity, sorry, Ugh. air on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> needed, definitely needed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's how much the humidity is going up. We get 80% humidity. That's so crazy to hear. It's, I still can't believe that's the reality of Southern California. If people don't believe in climate change, they just have to live in Southern California. <laughs> I know. After, after all this, yeah. I know. It's so crazy. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the, it's just a lot of things are different than even 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Weather-wise, it's just completely different i would i would never think that our weather would change this quickly but we were warned we were warned all the way back Mm -hmm. in the 70s about this stuff happening nobody listened they were just wacko people (laughs) (laughs) wacko people who happen to be absolutely right (laughs) yeah yeah we're definitely feeling it now so at least most people are on the right train with that oh yeah definitely I mean, even King Charles, he said the same thing way back in the 70s when he was Prince Charles, and people said, oh, no, you're just a wacko prince. Even he was right. (laughs) Even he can be right occasionally. Yeah. Um, But I just think it's interesting that uh, it's doing exactly what, was said it was going to happen. It was going to our yeah. weather was going to change. It was going to accelerate. Um, storms are going to be faster and and mm-hmm. and bigger and hotter and which means they're going to be you know more rain and more damage and stuff. Um, yeah, everything happening. Yeah, everything they said. It's just amazing and yeah. scary. <laughs> I mean, I'm in New England and I think we got snow twice this winter. Like, at all. Uh, it was the latest winter I think I've ever lived through. Um, out here, I've been out here since, I don't know, 2007. And two, it snowed twice. It's just the craziest thing. Um, I'm going to change the subject just a little bit. Do, okay. do you, um, are you a reader? Do you like to, uh, a specific kinds of genre? Or are you, are you eclectic and read all kinds of different kinds of books? So, I love anything. I will read the bestseller, I will read the literary classic, I will read poetry, I will read sci-fi, fantasy, I like YA and middle reader. Um, I'll read pretty much anything you put in front of me. Um, Even if it's like, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of talk about, you know, literary fiction versus like genre fiction. And that really bothers me because I just think there's value to all writing and all books. Um, they, they give us something, right? Like, there's very few things I think you're not going to get something out of, um, even if it's just entertainment. So I'll read literally anything. <laughs> I, I have the same issue. <clears throat> Some of my favorite books are genre books. I mean, and I don't get me wrong, I love classics. I mean, Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice. Oh, um, Jane Eyre's my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Great Gatsby, you know. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, there's so many classics I love, but... I'm an Agatha Christie fan. I love, <laughs> I, I love Ray Bradbury. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't tell me those are not great writers. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I um, when I was in graduate school, I feel like it was a big like gap in between. Like you're, supp- I I went to graduate school for writing, and I felt like we were supposed to be writing this literary fiction, and it's changed. That pr- the program I was in at Fairfield University is much more open now than it was at the time. Um, but they, you know, look down upon young adult fiction or fantasy or um, any any genre horror. And now it's really open comparatively, and I feel like I really like cross genre writing, where I'm not just writing one type of thing, but using everything at my disposal to try to write something that feels true. So it doesn't matter to me whether or not it fits into a particular genre or if it's quote unquote literary. It's more about is this telling me something real, and is it doing something real for me? Am I enjoying it? Um, so those are my big, like, things about both reading and writing. And that's the thing. People put people in categories, like Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. If you've only read Perot or Miss Marple, you don't really yeah. know Agatha Christie. There, she has so many stories that are, I mean, if you read her standalones, and then there were none is a classic. It's still considered one oh, of yeah. the best books of all time. Um, she, she wrote... Um, one of my favorites is kind of metaphysical or spiritual. It's uh, uh, what is it called? Mr. Quinn or the something of Mr. Quinn. Oh, it's, I'll look into that. I don't know that one. Oh, they're so good. They're uh, he is actually his name is Harley Quinn and he is a Harlequin. Ah. But he he'll never admit it. They just give you hints and clues. And his uh, his companion is Mr. Satherwaite, who is an old man. He's considered an old man, and he's 60. Uh-oh. Uh, but a uh, shriveled old man, 60. Okay, Agatha, you're, you were in your 60s when you wrote that. That's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's like discovering the Golden Girls were, like, the youngest Golden Girl was in her, like, 50s. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Just, and the one what who is, what's wrong with us? And the one who looked the uh youngest, which was Betty White, was the oldest one as a group. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And she lives the longest. Age is a number. Yeah, exactly. But um but anyway, so he is like um like is he he's into the arts and uh theater and but he also goes off hunting and He's he's quint- he's very British, but he's rich and he's a snob and he likes to go to Saint Tropez and to the <laughs> south of France and stuff like that. But it turns out what he's really good at is bringing out stories of people, which is what um, Quinn uses him for. And also, he can figure he sees things differently than anybody else and he can put together the mystery of what happened even though it may have been years ago just by listening to all these people talking so but he's inspired by Quinn it's just it's just a remarkable set of short stories because of that yeah and and she definitely has Agatha Christie has such an interesting life story as well um the mm-hmm. disappearance and yeah. all the intrigue behind that. She's such a 
there's so many authors in like the classic canon that have such interesting backstories as well, yeah. like in real life. Or Dorothy Sayers. I mean, mm. she has an interesting backstory too. I don't know if you know about that, but <laughs> she yeah, had, she's she's she, interesting for she sure. Had, she had a child out of wedlock, and and and, and that was in the. I think it was the 20s, or was it the 30s? I never remember exactly when. But she had a child out of wedlock, um, and she had her cousin raise him so mm. she could be still be involved in his life and pay for everything and everything. And uh, the only person who knew was her cousin. The daughter didn't know. And the daughter was the cousin's daughter, and her son didn't know. Wow. So, so she kept this all secret, but she she spent time with him and everything. Very interesting. I mean, it was so. I mean, she was married to a man who knew about it, and she she really wanted him to adopt her son so she could bring him home. You know, the two of them adopt her son, but he wouldn't do it. Um, he and it wasn't that he didn't like him. It was it, or anything like that. Was, he had his own problems. He he had. Um, well, basically, um, PST, what is it called? From the war. Oh, PTSD? PTSD. I forgot. I always forget yeah, the damn yeah. T. It's funny, because we talk about stuff like that, and it's it's very much that phrase, stranger than fiction. Like, you can't, you couldn't write this story. It would be too melodramatic. Nobody would want to read it. You know I don't know, I mean? but it's real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so just like, um, I, it's just like, um, Gypsy Rosalie's son. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, not Andrew Prevalent. Um, Otto Preminger, the director, was 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 the father of her child, but nobody knew that yeah. until years later, including her son. So many stories. You know, we think we're more open now, but I'm sure there's like so many secrets still in so many people's lives that will come out years later. It's kind of that deathbed confession thing that almost is like a trope in liter in literature because it's just so ridiculous. But then it's real like it's it does real. happen yeah like you find out things about your loved ones after they're gone that are crazier than you could ever imagine we all have secrets like that you know and it's not like I don't believe any of those people were doing it for anything other than the love of their child yeah that's that's a beautiful way to think of it too I just ha I have a six-month-old um and I can't imagine not being the one to raise him, but at the same time, I would do literally anything. All right, you know, I've only had him for I've had him for half a year, and I completely understand that you would do anything to make sure that kid had the best life possible, even if it wasn't with you. And remember the stigma of being a single mother and having yeah. a baby out of wedlock in the twenties and the thirties. What these were people were who are just starting their careers. Yeah. No, and I gotta tell you, it's hard. I can't even imagine. My mom, my mom actually raised me as a single mother. My father died when I was a child, and I cannot imagine doing what she did. Like I am, I am a stay-at-home mom that just writes um, when I can, which isn't that often with a six-month-old. But um, I can't imagine doing what she did, working and taking care of a child. Um, absolutely, the hardest job in the world. Oh yeah. They, yeah. People say it, and I feel like before I had a kid, I was very much like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. But, it, I, like, now I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I, I get it now. I understand. <laughs> She's the bravest, strongest woman in the world. All mothers are. I mean, oh, yeah. good mothers. I, I want to be. Who, who, who love <laughs> their children. 
<laughs> yes, I, I, I hope I can uh, live up to that example for sure for my son because it is it's a hard job. She, my mom's actually watching him right now because so she's just taken on even more as grandma, you know. And it's funny. I mean, it's like my mom used to say, uh, "You didn't come with a manual." No. <laughs> I I don't know how parents raise children before the internet without accidentally killing them. Um, I Google things probably fifty times a day. Well, it was called books. <laughs> oh, I've heard of those. <laughs> no, we have some child child rearing books as well, and I've definitely looked through them. But like, it's a lot faster to Google than use a glossary. <laughs> it's just like when I grew up, there was no Google. There was none of that. When I wanted to figure something out, and I asked my parents, they would say, "Look it up," and point it to the Encyclopedia Britannia. <laughs> I remember having those as a kid, which, you know, they eventually, like, disappeared slowly through many moves um, and the advent of the Internet. But I loved the encyclopedia. Like, the fact, I thought that was the most incredible thing in the entire world and probably partially how I fell in love with books was just, like, knowing I could find out anything about the world in that set of books. And the pictures were beautiful. Oh, yeah. They were just gorgeous. I mean, you look up Van Gogh, and they have these absolutely beautiful pictures of his paintings. And, you know, it, people, yeah, you can do that on the Internet, but it's it's um, kind of nice to have it on your lap. Yeah, I know. Even through high school, we were using, we were doing more like, this is how you use the library to research, mm-hmm. as opposed to this is how you use the Internet responsibly, which is like when I taught, um, English up here for the university, we would take our English classes to, like, library days where they would learn how to research responsibly. Like, this, like, Wikipedia, you you can't use that as a source kind of information. Um, but I remember learning to, like, research in the library and how cool it felt to, like, find a book that was exactly what you needed. And there is something, like, lost a little bit with the internet, for sure. I mean, we have everything at our fingertips. And it's almost too much information sometimes, I think. But uh, I loved the library when I was in college. Uh, when I was oh, in both yeah. community college and university, I spent most of my time in the library. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I was in classes and stuff. But, <laughs> but the between no, class my, time, I would I would bring a sandwich and go into one. They used to have, like, uh, like, it was supposed to be, like, for study groups. But I would bring a sandwich, my notebooks, my stuff, and I would work on my writing in the in those little glassed-in rooms and eat my oh, sandwich. Yeah. yeah, but I definitely had my specific desk, and if somebody was sitting at it in the library, I would get, I would like watch them and somebody left. Yeah, that's what you had to do. You you because yeah. they, they were like at the perimeter, so yeah. And um, but they did have really comfortable chairs. Um, and at university. They had a. We had two libraries. There was a science library and there was the um, regular library. The regular library. I can't. There was a name for it, but I can't remember. Um, they had really, really comfortable chairs, and uh, even inside the little glass rooms, they had cushy chairs. So oh. you could sit there forever. You could stay there all day if you wanted to because they were that comfortable. <laughs> Yeah, I do miss having that. I, I have, we have good public libraries in Connecticut. We're very lucky. Um, I can pretty much get anything. I've never not been able to get a book, um, whether it's legally an interlibrary loan, but in the state of Connecticut, in, absolutely incredible. And 
such comfortable, beautiful spaces. We're yeah. very lucky here. Yeah. Um, I'm moving to Massachusetts soon, and I'm excited to have another state library to explore, honestly. Yeah, we, um, I mean, well, when I was in New Jersey, we had um, Princeton University's library, so it was gorgeous. I mean, you know, I was used to California stuckies and stucky stucco libraries (laughs) and stuff like that, and this was like the marble and the the colonnades and the... um, Corinthian uh, statues and all this stuff, and I'm like, um, because my uh, my father was taking um my uh one of my cousins, uh, a man who was a physicist, and he was visiting to Princeton. He he drove him over, and uh, there was the uh, area for the people who were doing study, and then there was the area for the rest of us. Um, and so, um, he signed us into the area for normal people, <laughs> not astrophysicists. <laughs> I mean, you got to remember, Einstein taught and worked there, so, I mean, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was like, I felt like I was in the middle of ancient Rome or something. It was just, I never saw anything like it. Um, That's definitely what the good, a good library does. Oh, yeah. Like, it was incredible. Like you're somewhere else, right? And it was like, and the books, I, oh, I, was, I was old enough that I could get any book I wanted. I wasn't stuck in the children's section. And I was, um, I, 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 I didn't even, cause you could, because we were residents, we could check out a book. Oh, you could, cool. you, if you were out of state, like if, if you went to Princeton, you couldn't check it. You could get you could get a book and look at it, but you yeah. couldn't you couldn't check it out. But if you, and I don't know if they changed the rules, but this was because this was back in the um, the seventies. But we could check a book out because we were New Jersey residents. So cool! I know I've always wanted to go to Princeton's library. There's some rare J.B. Salinger short stories there that you can only read there. Yeah. Um. And I've always wanted to go there to do that, so I'm going to have to check it out. It sounds beautiful. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, the only place that I can compare it to <laughs> is the British Library. Oh, <laughs> uh, I actually did. Um, I did study abroad when I was in college in London. I worked. I lived there for a year, and I went to UCL, which is right near the British Library. Um, absolutely. Isn't it amazing? Uh so wonderful and also we were near the British Museum so the reading room there where like Virginia Woolf wrote and you know it was very uh very inspiring when I was there I know I just it's like they have all these artifacts of ancient Greece in the in the British library part of the library uh and you're like I'm and you're looking around I mean this makes Princeton it doesn't even come up the close to British Library. Um, <laughs> they have like, uh, like I think it the Colossus and a bunch of other uh, Greek statues. Some of some of them are broken. That are like in a line as you walk down the hallway from one part of the British Library to the other. Uh-huh. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's such a it's very strange. It's such like a beautiful space at the same time. It is gorgeous and it's just it, yeah. it it's um very modern. It's 
very, mo- you know, you're, you're talking about all the ancient stuff, but it's extremely modern looking. And you can, yeah. and when you're there, you don't get a book. You go and you ask for a book. And you have to yeah. wait for it to come to you at your table that you're assigned to, and it'll come through a conveyor to you. I've never seen anything like that before. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an incredible incredible place. I mean, libraries in general were, it's one of the only things I feel like we have left as a society that's like truly free knowledge in a lot of ways. Like, obviously we have public schools, but just open to anyone. It's it's probably one of the most beautiful things we have as a society, I think. Oh, I go to the library all the time. I mean, I, 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 have, I have stacks of books I'm reading, but I, I can't resist I get my newer books. I gotta admit, I, I'm, I, I, if a book comes out that I that's new that I really want to read, I admit that I go to the library <laughs> and get it. You know, I know I'm supposed to. Say, I, I, if I know someone, I will buy their book um, automatically. But if I haven't read a book yet, I usually try to get it from the library first, and I use. The Libby app as well, which is so yeah, incredible. I, do too. I love, I love Libby. Oh, it's so incredible. Um, during the pandemic, it saved my life. Mm-hmm. I would have spent all of my money on books otherwise. I, I use that a lot, and then I will buy a book if I know I want to read it again. I just recently uh, got the audio book of Heartburn. I'd seen the movie, mm-hmm. and okay. uh, but I'd never read the book. And I figured, you know, I can, I if I listen to it, it'd be a little bit faster than than reading it. And I had so much work to do. So I, I you won't believe this, okay? How, um, uh, what's her name? Jackie is read by Meryl Streep. Wow. So that is cool. It, it's it. Um, I I read it in two days because <laughs> it's Meryl Streep. Yeah, you want to listen to her talk. You know, and since we're talking about this, I do have to talk up the Writers of the Future Volume 39 audiobook because it is so incredibly well done. Um, I got to meet the actress that read my story in it, and she was just so lovely. It's her and her parents narrating all of the stories. They're all actors. They are. I was just you. You want as a as a writer, you want a good audiobook, obviously. Oh yeah. That's happening to you. I couldn't be happier and I don't think Eddie Eddie all the other writers feel the same way it's just such an extraordinarily well done and well produced audiobook um so definitely since we're talking about audiobooks I have to talk that up I'm just what's your name um Taylor Meskimen I think is the name of the one the girl that narrated my story she's an actress um beautiful girl so kind I met her in LA um just a lovely person too so definitely check that out yeah I absolutely, so, yeah, and I have a tendency to get my audiobooks through Libby. It's 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 free, and I can get yeah. the newest or I can get old books that I want. I can get the newest books that I want. Um, yep. Like put a bunch on hold, and then they oh yeah, and, and they, they and they keep yeah. pushing them to you. Like oh, I can only take so much at one time. I I I'm yeah. I'm continually sending them back to the, uh, uh, let the next person have it is the thing that they have. Um, Actually, yeah, no, I love that that feature of it. I mean, now this sounds like we're doing an ad for Libby, but um, the feature where you can, like, you have something on hold, but you don't have to take it right away and you can give it to the next person is such a cool feature. It's, oh, like, I it know. It makes me so happy. 
because I would I wouldn't be able to I could I just because I'm also reading stuff for the interviews and I'm mm-hmm. also working on my writing my own stuff so I wouldn't yeah. have time to read all the stuff that they send you like um, right now I'm reading Spare by Printeri and it's oh, yeah. really a big book. And they sent me Les Mis and Michelle Obama's new book and all these things. That I know I don't have time. Send let let the next person have. No, I don't have time. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's yeah, no, but it's great that you can just come back to it. It's once again, this sounds like we're just um, doing an ad for Libby because it's no, it's it, it's world. it's really not. It's just talking about. It's it's not actually an ad for Libby. It's an ad for the library. Exactly. And and they're an an endangered thing. So I'm really very – I have no problem talking about libraries right now because they're having a lot of problems. No, it's been – I can't believe the news. I'm – you know, I think a lot of people can't believe the news right now when it comes to the the book banning and – just libraries being shut down entirely like ban- it's essentially banning all books uh when you do something like that so i feel very lucky to live somewhere where that's not happening Me too. um and just horrified that it's happening at all in this country and the thing is it's like one person can ban a book and stop everybody from i have no problem with a parent not wanting a child their their own child to read a book, but to take the book away from everybody is just the most yeah. obnoxious, horrible thing I've ever heard. No, I completely agree. It's, it's, I mean, what is, I feel like the people doing this are the same people that are very much um, talking about the sanctity of the Constitution, but it's like they forgot about that First Amendment. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, they're they're all, they're they're really big on other amendments, but the one which gives you the freedom to read a book, or talk, or to uh, <laughs> to write, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and all the things that that one they're not too big on, uh, but they're they're, yeah, they're no, big on course, other amendments. <laughs> yeah, and of course I'm generalizing. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to say anything in particular except that I don't agree with banning books. Just you can make that decision for yourself and for your children until they are adults, um, but I don't think anyone ever really got anything out of banning a book. See, I don't think anything is gained there ever. See, the thing is, is that I, I don't understand the mentality because my parents, even when we were little, never said we weren't allowed to read something. They would want to... It, they would monitor it. They would want to make sure we understood what we were reading. They, we, they would want exactly. to. I mean, my my dad still was discussing books with me when I was in my 40s. So this was not <laughs> unusual. But I'm just saying when we had the run of my dad and mom's bookshelves, um, you know, and, and we, like, ran like little Indians around the library once a week when we went to the library. <laughs> I kind of feel sorry for the librarians because we're just like, yay! We're like running. <laughs> and we weren't the only kids that had that attitude. It was like, oh, you poor librarian. <laughs> I think they're probably the only ones that 
probably happy to see it. Like I, you know, I, I said I have a six month old and man, I hope he loves to read as much as I do. Um, I will love him no matter what. However, we read to him. No child has been read more books in his entire life than this child. Um, in his small, in his short six months, uh, he loves them so far. So I'm really hoping, you know, I can, I really hope that, that I, so I'm sure every single librarian out there when they see a kid excited to read is, so excited for them. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is if the parents give you an example, both my parents read, both my parents love movies. So we we were brought up with a love of both books and classic movies and what well, yeah. what's considered classic movies now. Um, because <laughs> then some of them weren't. They were new. Um, <laughs> but But we were given that since we were little. So if you're given that choice and, and also openness that you can pick whatever you want and you, and it was fun to talk over the dinner table about whatever yeah. book or on a car ride for vacation, what uh, summer book you were reading, we were all talking about our books on the drive um, or, or what the movie we saw, um, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid was a, a big discussion in our family. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I mean, I think if you oh, have yeah. that love of that, and you you and you don't have to cram it down your kid's throat. You just have to have it yourself. Yeah, I saw something the other day that was saying that whatever you're doing in front of your child, they're learning how to be a human from you. Like they're literally starting from scratch. And that perspective on it that you know, if I'm if I, if there's any habits that I don't want my child to pick up. I just have to not practice them in front of him. You know what I mean? I think that's big. Um, when I think about, I have a son, but if I ever had a daughter talking about my body image or um, woman, we tend to talk down to ourselves a lot. And it's something that as soon as I got pregnant, I was like, I can't do that anymore. And it's probably made me a much more um, self-confident person because I have to be, because I don't want my kid to grow up and think, they have to speak that way about themselves, particularly if it was a girl, because that's just the way our society is, unfortunately, but, like, also my son, of course. Well, I think it's good to have sons as well as daughters learn that no one's perfect, but it, yeah, it, it, yeah. but you say it in a way that's not, like, negative or ugly. Yes, yeah, that we, we, love, our, we love our differences and we accept and understand that we have weaknesses as people and we can still be good people. Exactly. Everybody's yeah. a good person. Be uh, uh, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person because you have a flaw. I hate to yeah. break it to the general public. Everybody has flaws. There's no one flawless. <laughs> no one. <laughs> no exactly. one on this earth is flawless. So stop thinking that way. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not helping anything. No. Um, another transition. I wanted to find <laughs> out how you began writing. Well, um, I have always wrote, really. Um, I'm definitely one of those people that never really considered doing anything else. Um, I don't. I was writing before I could write. I was the kid that would scribble on a piece of paper and then stand up in front of everyone and quote unquote read my poem. Um, <laughs> There was I, just what I wanted from day one. I was so obsessed with books as a kid, and when I found out I could do that, that there was no turning back. Um, but I really started seriously. I, I thought I was going to be an English professor for a long time because I really think that 
being a writer as a profession wasn't really presented to me as a viable option. Um, so I always thought, okay, well, I love books so much. I will teach them to other people and I will find time to write. And when I was in college is when I realized that I wouldn't be happy if that was the only thing, if that was like my main concentration, um, that talking about pulling the books apart was, even though writers do that too when they're writing, but maybe I didn't understand that yet. Um, I started taking writing seriously about my junior year of college. Um, I had always written, I wrote poems all through high school and into college, but I wasn't taking writing classes or anything yet. I was concentrating on becoming an English professor. Um, and then I pivoted and ended up getting my MFA in creative writing in poetry and fiction um, at Fairfield University instead of going <laughs> to get my PhD in English, um, which was definitely the right move for me because nothing makes me happier than than the writing part. Um, even when I was in school and wanted to be an English professor, it was the writing of the essays that I liked more than anything else. Um, it was the, the putting the words on paper, like figuring out that puzzle that made the essay. like, um, And that's really what the fiction and poetry writing is too, except I get to be more creative. Um, so I've always written and I will always write, even if I change direction and end up teaching English one day or end up going back to retail or end up doing anything else like writing is the thing that makes me who I am and you know I I lost my father when I was a kid as I said and I think it's you know writing helps me find my way out of grief it's helped me find my way out of depression it's helped me find my way towards positive things as well um the last section of my first poetry book is called home and it's just love poems about my husband and how finding him was my home and those poems helped lead me to understand that I found my person you know so no matter what uh writing is the thing I'm always going to return to so it's kind of hard to answer the question almost because it feels like such an intrinsic part of who I am as a person that's fine that you did very well you did it actually you answered it <laughs> um we're going to start talking about uh writers of the future now which you brought up earlier okay. um First of all, how did you find out about the contest in the first place? So I tend to write longer fiction. Um, all my short stories don't really fit into that three to 5,000 word. I only have like a couple um, that ever have that most literary journals are looking for. So I was looking for anywhere that would accept um, longer pieces. And Writers of the Future is not only one of those, but it is, it is free to enter and it is science fiction fantasy, um, which I tend to write kind of magical realism or speculative kind of fiction. So I was like, I was like, this is the most perfect thing. So I entered it maybe four or five times before I, I had two honorable mentions before I won um, last year, including an honorable mention for the story that ended up winning after a rewrite. Um, and it turns out it's also an incredible community, which I didn't know until I was a little deeper in and had won. Um, it, you know, you can take these classes through it, and then anyone who's been published by it becomes an automatic part of the community of writers. It's just such an incredible contest. But yeah, I literally Googled, like, free writing contest and 17,000 word limit and things like that, and I just, like, kind of magically was led to something that turned out to be very life-changing. That's great. And how yeah, did you find out that you win, that you won? Um, so Joni, um, who helped her in the contest, called me, and I thought it was fake, because um, I'd entered many times at that point, 
And I had talked to Joni before through email, but she called my cell phone directly, and it was a California number. I get all my spam calls are always from California because I have a California phone number. So I ignored it, like, multiple times. <laughs> but she called me. She's, it's such a personal um, contest as well. They care so much, everyone at Author Services and Galaxy Press. Um, and they really spend a lot of resources on this contest and on the winners. It's pretty incredible. You get to do this week-long intensive conference slash workshop slash networking thing where you meet all the other winners and you meet all these incredible writers and judges and everyone that works there. Um, but yeah, Joni just calls you up and it's very personal. It's very much really about you and your story on a really personal level as opposed to a forum email. It's, it's a really cool way to find out you've won something that feels very prestigious in the moment. Yeah, it's cool. And yeah. so when you went and you went to the workshops, uh, did, mm-hmm. did you enjoy it? Did you meet any people that were interesting? You know, how yeah. did you feel about it? Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. They really pull out all the stops for you. Like, you stay at a very nice hotel in Hollywood, and you, um, the conference was held there. Um, they throw this huge gala for the award ceremony because I, I won my quarter, so there's a there's four quarters, obviously, um, and the four winners of those quarters are up for a grand prize, which is awarded at a gala. And so they have this, like, black tie event where they do all these incredible press opportunities, and it's really about, like, getting your start as a writer and becoming – it's all about getting up-and-coming voices to the forefront and recognized and heard. And it's just such – I couldn't believe it, um, honestly. I When I entered it, I knew there was, like – some prize money, like a lot more than most amateur contests, and I knew that there that there was an opportunity to do something, and it was a little vague to me. But the writers that I met there, and I'll, the artists too, because it's also an illustrator contest. Some of the most talented people I've ever met, um, and we are still all in like a group. We're in a Discord group together. We all can talk all the time, and every judge and every professional writer we met was also so generous and open. Jody Lynn and I and Tim Powers kind of ran the weekend for us, and they're extraordinary writers and extraordinary teachers, so it was it was everything I could have asked for. It was kind of like being back in grad school again, but we were all professionals now, so it felt even better. Um, when they did the reveal for the picture for your book, did you get to meet the artist, and did you pick out your picture right away? Oh, yeah. I walked straight up to it. Um, my story has to do with um, the legend of the Japanese kitsune, which are um, women that can transform into foxes and back. Um, so mine had the foxes in it, so it was a very immediate moment for me, but... It was also so, I, I write poetry and I write very lyrically. Um, that's kind of my style. And it, she captured it in the picture entirely. It was so beautifully done. Um, my artist, Alain Knowlton, is a, she just finished her freshman year um, of college and she's learning to be a, like a video game designer. And she is such an incredible talent and captured my story so perfectly like I can't emphasize enough how beautiful this picture is like I have it hanging up in my house already I got home it was the first thing I did (laughs) and um did you enjoy the gala oh (laughs) yeah who doesn't like getting dressed up number one it was very (laughs) fun um but it's you know it's it's a rarity to get honored as a writer 
flat, full out. Um, you know, that's something that only very few writers get. There's very few writing awards, right? Like there's the Pulitzer or, but this is one of the very few amateur awards. And it's one of the big awards in science fiction and fantasy. There's only a handful. There's only really like three or four. So getting to experience something like that is kind of the confidence boost you need as a creative, I think, to know like I did, I, I did it once. I can write something that's good again and I can keep going. And it was so fun. I mean, I mean, who doesn't like to have them? It was like being at a wedding, but you don't have to stand. <laughs> um. And could you tell the full title of the book you're in? Um, so that is Elrond Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, Volume 39. Um, writers and Illustrators of the Future, possibly? Oh, no. <laughs> That's okay. Let me pull up the cover. <laughs> oh, no. It's probably writers and illustrators. Now. It's probably writers. No, it's Elrond Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, Volume 39. Okay. I got it right. You got it right. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't looked at the cover in a, in a couple of days. <laughs> and what's the name of your story? My story is Kitsune, which is K-I-T-S-U-N-E. It's actually the opening story in the collection, which is fun. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I that's was very really, proud. That's really cool. <laughs> and um, now this is uh, your turn to plug yourself. Uh, do you have anything that's coming up that you'd like people to know about? Um, definitely purchase Writers of the Future. That's the biggest thing that I've done recently. Um, I also have a book of poetry, careful cartography. It did come out in 2021, but it's still available for purchase um, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that stuff, by Cornerstone Press. And then I have some poetry coming out in um, a Connecticut anthology um, later this year, um, so keep an eye out for that, by Woodhall Press, the Connecticut Poetry Anthology, as well as some poems in Word West Review, which is a up-and-coming literary magazine, as well as the Icarus Collective. I'll have a short story coming out in there um, in the next couple of months, so keep an eye out for all those. Terrific. And do you have a website? Yeah. I do. It's just devinbohm.com. So very easy to remember that one. And uh, what uh, social media are you on? Do you know what the um, handles are on the different social media? Oh, yeah. So I am de at Devin Bohm and at Devin Poem on Instagram. I use both those accounts. One of them does have poetry posted for you to read, um, as well as poetry performances. You can also see my poetry performances on TikTok at at Devin Poem. And um, are you on Twitter or Facebook or any of those? Nope. <laughs> I have a personal Facebook, but I, I I need to make my author one. I'll get out there one of these days, but no Twitter. I'm, I think I'm out. I think we're uh, Twitter is slowly going out of out of the yeah. realm of. I know. <laughs> I, unless, unless someone saves it. Uh, yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> but for now, I'm not on there. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's it. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun to talk to you. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.
Experience better banking with SDCCU. Open a free checking with eStatements account at sdccu.com and bank on the go. Check balances, deposit checks, pay bills, and more online or just about anywhere through your smartphone 24-7. And if you need cash, access one of their 30,000 surcharge-free ATMs. San Diego County Credit Union, it's not big bank banking, it's better. Message and data rates may apply. Federally insured by NCUA. For details, go to sdccu.com slash new checking. Hey, it's Gina, the Latina. Are you ready to make 2024 your best year yet? If you're ready to change your future, my friends at Northwest College can help. Start training for a rewarding career in healthcare like medical assisting, medical billing and coding, surgical technology, or nursing. Don't wait. New classes are enrolling right now. Plus, we're giving away a $10,000 scholarship to attend Northwest College. So what are you waiting for? Register now at channel933.com slash edu. That's channel933.com slash edu. Or call 844-NEW-CAREER to learn more.